Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on May 15, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. And this evening, we're talking with Ozzy Gonzalez, who is running for mayor of Portland, Oregon. Ozzy is a small business mentor, an entrepreneur, and an advisor to local agencies and nonprofits on equity and sustainability policies. Ozzy is a first-generation American citizen. He was raised in a Spanish-speaking household and is the first in his family to receive a formal education. He holds a B.S. in environmental science from Humboldt State University and has a master's degree in architecture from California State Polytechnic University. Ozzy currently serves on the TriMet Board of Directors, the advisory board for the Oregon Association of Minority Entrepreneurs, the executive board of the Hispanic Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce, and recently served on the Regional Arts and Cultural Council Board of Directors. For those of you who are not familiar with the, with the term TriMet, TriMet is the name for the Portland Metropolitan Transit Service, which includes light rail, commuter rail, and bus service. For the last three years, Ozzy has served as the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Program Director for the Portland Building Relocation and Remodel Project, the city of Portland's largest construction contract today. It has the most aggressive and rigorous inclusion goals for both subcontractor diversity and workforce diversity in the city's history. The $150 million project is nearing completion, one year ahead of schedule and $9 million under budget. Mr. Gonzalez, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, and thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you very much, Dan. It's very nice to be here. Good. Well, you know, I, Portland, Oregon, I got excited about this because uh, personally, I love that city. Um, I, I, currently, I live near St. Louis, Missouri, but um, for many years, I lived in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, a significant portion of my time, I worked for a company uh, based out of Hillsboro, Oregon, which is just west of you, I believe. And uh, yes. as a result, I spent a lot of time in your city. I know it sounds crazy, but you know, I think every city has its own unique personality. Uh, Portland always struck me as a very positive place to live. People there seem to be very friendly. The city is well organized, and and I uh, guess what I actually discovered Widmere Hefeweizen and beer one there well, one evening when I was there. So, <laughs> anyways, I can't find it here in St. Louis, but when I was out there, it was great. So, um, I really love your city, and uh, so therefore I'm somewhat invested in it. And so I have to ask, uh, what is your main motivation for running for mayor, and what are some of the biggest issues facing the people of Portland, Oregon. Sure. Well, it's born out of a love for this city. Uh, You just listed a lot of the things that attract people to this city, not just to visit, but to live. It's long been considered one of the more livable cities in the United States and is a place that I am glad to say my children grew up in. I'm frankly jealous they got to grow up in the Pacific Northwest and in the city of Portland. I am very much vested in ensuring that we keep that sort of livability. Um, But it's watching those things erode over time over the last five, six years that has brought me to the table to government and put myself in the ring to help lead our city. There's some major issues that happen with any cities that are under growth pressures. Um, We've started to see uh, congestion and uh, affordable housing has become more out of reach uh, for more people. And so we're starting to see the, the more of the commuters uh, 
having to come in from farther away for the workforce jobs in downtown. And all of those things are changing the character. So part of my motivation has been that love for Portland, but it also combined with a deep concern for what we need to ensure we preserve as we navigate these challenges uh, that the growth and the diversification of the city do naturally. Mm -hmm. So what what types of issues are you seeing associated with growth? Just you say the housing uh, issue is getting perhaps competitive and people moving in or people moving further out. How long has it been since you lived in this area, in the area of Portland Hillsborough? Well, no, I actually, well, I worked for a company up there. I lived remotely, but I worked for a company up there. So that's been, um, that was actually in 1997 to about the year 2000. So it's been a while since I've been up there. Well, you you should come check it out again. Uh, we have we have grown quite a bit. Um, it used to be a city that you could now often than not see folks you knew throughout the day, any coffee shop, grocery store, and there was a biggish small town feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the years, it has grown to more of the feeling of what you would characterize as any other city where. You might go out about your day and not run into a familiar face. Uh, You have um, the challenge of deciding what time should I leave because that route gets congested and what Mm. used to be a 10-minute drive is now a 30-minute drive. Um, Things of that nature have come to become normal. Um, And then there's the other challenges that I'd say came in more recently, both with COVID, accelerated by COVID, but were also problematic leading up to COVID. And mm-hmm. that's been homelessness and affordable housing in Portland. We've mm-hmm. seen the average cost of housing go uh, much higher over the last five years. It's grown over 34%, whereas uh, wages have not grown for a majority of the workers. We have a growth in, in new industries and tech sector jobs, but those are not necessarily coming to the folks that are within Portland that are getting into those jobs. It's more representative of the growth that's happening to our city as folks move here and invest in our city and set up new industries. So it's changing, um, it's changing the nature of, of what it is to try to work and live Portland people. And the homelessness situation has pushed us to a, a level of frustration around how do we maintain a, a civility and, and humanity in addressing a crisis situation that doesn't seem to be getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's, it's creating a lot of tension between the business community, the social equity community, the humanitarian services, and the taxpayers, mm-hmm. because there seems to be this endless drain of time and energy, but the problem only seems to be getting worse. Yeah. Every every article I read um, in in Portland, well, not every article, but a lot of articles I read, um, they talk about the um, um, well. Put it this way: the the current mayor has has received a lot of criticism for not doing enough to help the homeless in the city. So, um, and especially with this pandemic being in, in full swing right now, it's it's going to make uh, addressing this problem an extra difficult task for the foreseeable future. So. Do you have any like specific plans that you can talk about, and have any of these plans been like validated in others in other communities? Uh, absolutely, Dan. Yes, and I think I'd like to begin by acknowledging that um, there's no there's no set of plans that we can implement 
that do not require a level of leadership and perseverance to implement um, uh, that we are that we have in place today. Uh, that's one of the things that keeps us from being able to develop plans and ideas that are already on the table. Uh, we don't have decisiveness behind what this work, what the work is that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of ambulating around right now, and I'd say a, a leadership approach that is very clear about what the objective is and what the issue is, the, the, quote unquote, the problem we're trying to solve, to try to put it in engineering terms, um, without a clear definition of that, you know, plans, any plan will do, frankly. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to make sure that I'm clear about what the objective is, first and foremost. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the things I say is the North Star that I'm aiming towards is to end unregulated camping in the streets. Because that's something that has not brought out the best of our responsiveness, of our, of our services, or of our humanity at this point. So the things that I'm going to implement begin with what do we need to do to make that possible. The first thing I'm going to work on is designating and creating a pathway for permitting uh, temporary emergency facilities and temporary emergency services. Mm-hmm. Um, there's... There's such a crisis out there. We don't have the luxury of building, passing bond measures to build new facilities and permitting those facilities. That takes a few years. Mm -hmm. We have folks with um, vacant or underutilized land um, in between spaces that can be devoted to short-term things. Even public parks can become Thursday afternoon soup kitchens. Mm -hmm. But what we are missing in Portland is a permitting mechanism that allows the community, uh, the faith organizations, nonprofits, uh, what have you, to step forward and and do something. Their first barrier becomes, um, is this allowed and and can we get a permit? And and that that circle, that cyclone actually takes up a lot of time and, and resource and dissuades a lot of community members from lifting up something that can be immediately helpful. And so the the vigilante model where, you know, we open up a, it, it's like um, Sunday at the football game where folks will pick a parking lot and open up, um, you know, temporary, mm-hmm. I made some soup, I'm going to deliver some food services, are done in an unregulated fashion. The yeah. camping in the streets is done in an unregulated fashion. And so I want to create, creating that allowable use policy is going to help begin the process. Um, and with that in place, having the roll-up-your-sleeves leadership to get out, walk the community, and start bringing those different services together because we have now, when once we have a physical location where we can point people that are homeless to, we also have a physical location that we can start bringing referral, a referral system from so we can evaluate intake people and at least get them closer to the things that are already available. Hmm. Yeah, Mayor Lida Krusen, who's the uh, mayor of St. Louis here, is, is actually dealing with that exact same issue. Um, there are some communities, uh, homeless communities here in St. Louis that are literally camping out in public parks in the city. And uh, it's quite a quandary, really, because what do you do, right? You, you tell the people, okay, get out of the park, but they got to go somewhere, right? So. Yeah, um, go somewhere. Right. So it's it's uh 
I actually don't know what she's doing about that issue right now, um, but that would be interesting to find out. You know, there, there are examples of pieces of what I'm talking about out there. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few semi-regulated camping communities. Even Portland has a few, but they're in a limbo, in a legal limbo, and they cannot, there's no official entity around them. There's no official um, ability for them to fundraise or get grants. The, the government cannot officially acknowledge they exist. So there's this sort of tacit, we won't, we won't send you away if you don't, if you could promise not to burn anything down sort of thing. Mm. And um, then there's all, all, then there's other examples that are for all the other things that are not overnight stay. Um, and it's like New York has a few examples of a couple of um, zones that are adjacent to public transit where homeless folks can arrive to be referred to services, for example, mm. where it's some, some sort of intake. Um, they could get uh, a few basic things done, like um, their, their things laundered. Um, those mm-hmm. sorts of examples do exist. Uh, but um, I'm looking at combining some of these ideas as well as bringing in a- applications that have not been applied to homeless but have been applied for high school programs uh, or at-risk youth, like uh, TaskRabbit uh, is an app that uh, allows people to assign themselves tasks in the community. And mm-hmm. you could you know, ask to have your lawn mowed, for example, and you're willing to provide X, Y, or Z. It doesn't have to be money, but you, know, you could. You say, I'll, I have 25 bucks who wants to mow my lawn. Um, and people can essentially say, I'll do it, and, and it's there. It's through an app. It's a neighborhood kind of model. Mm-hmm. That same idea can be applied to help activate opportunities for folks that are homeless to earn a meal, or mm-hmm. uh, earn the dignity of saying, you know, I, I did something today. And, it, and it, it could be a wide variety of possibilities, and it activates the community to invest in something that, you know, might beautify a park or a sidewalk um, uh, or might be something that helps improve just uh, vis- you know, vigilance in a parking lot um, to prevent vandalism, whatever it may be that someone can come up with, and they invest in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these are not government-driven programs, but the government can serve to create the backbone for these things to exist. And that's the leadership yeah. that I'm trying to bring, quite different. Yeah, I was just going to mention that word leadership because it really takes, I mean, what you're talking about here are some, um, maybe you could consider it outside the box sort of thinking, but, you know, something, you you can't just continue to ignore the uh, problem of homeless people. So you, a real real leader will look at this and say, okay, people, it's time to solve this problem. Let's get some ideas in here, and um, yeah, I like it. I like your I like your ideas there. Well, thanks, thanks. And you know about the box metaphor. I've often said to folks, uh, you know, when a city grows, especially now in the today's world where we travel farther distances and and can more easily interact with farther places, we have more crayons in the box, as it were, when mm-hmm. it comes to perspective, languages, philosophies in a city. And in a city like Portland, that I would say up until about 2000, 
was, you know, a, a slow, steady growth place. Um, started to see experience much accelerated growth and accelerated diversification. That growth was coming from, from farther reaches, as it were. And so the box of, of crayons in Portland got a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. And all I'm talking about is not so, I, I say, look, recognizing that we have more crayons in the box it's okay to stay in there, but we got to learn how to use those new crayons if we expect to come up with better outcomes, better drawings, as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Better pictures yeah. of ourselves. Um, okay. So that's really what I approach it with. And uh, government is one piece of that equation. I'm running for government position now because I see that it can be a better tool in this system, but it it needs to see the other pieces as allies. You know, this isn't business versus community versus environment versus government. You know, um, there is, uh, there's a shared interest we have at this point when, especially in this COVID moment, we realize how vulnerable, vulnerable we are collectively. (laughs) And uh, it's important to recognize that we must look at, our our economic systems, our social systems in a way that can help address these vulnerabilities. Um, And this whole working together is a big part of what we're learning right now. I believe that uh, having leadership that knows how to get us past this bickering Mm -hmm. uh, is going to be key. And and that was what what aligned me most with the Alliance Party, frankly. It was on that note. That that's a drum that I've been beating for quite some time now. You you get so you get so caught up in the in the duopoly of, of us versus them, uh, and, and the vilification of each other, and it just becomes an all-consuming end in itself. And at the, during the meantime, problems aren't getting solved. Problems like homelessness are not even getting solved. There's not even being talked about. So uh, this is good. And you know, Dan, and and for better or worse. There's something about me that I feel is uniquely positions me to to not get in that trap. Mm-hmm. And and it goes back to the fact that I am bicultural. I'm first generation immigrant and I never had an us versus them luxury because there was never an us that would claim me. Mm-hmm. I was always not us to whoever I was around. So the I had to learn how to navigate a world where uh, I had to just find the commonality I have with others, whether they consider me part of it or not, you know? Hmm. So it's an interesting kind of place to, to come from, but it's, it's given me the luxury now. And as I studied ecology and architecture, it reinforced this notion that uh, the enemy is simply our own inability to redesign our, our model, our institutions, to actually uh, uh, address the natural limits of, yeah. of what we're doing. Yeah. You know, and, and it, we call it green sustainability. There's a lot of great words, but at the end I say, hey, we should be intentional that this stuff doesn't just magically work out. We have to think through and then what happens. Yeah. And that's, it's, but the sad thing is, I mean, that really is a, a very strong American tradition that, 
we've lost sight of, I feel, we've lost sight of <laughs> these last few years, you know. It, we've always yeah. been the innovators, the thinkers, the, the, the problem solvers, uh, you know, and, and you look at things like, uh, you know, what do we do now about global warming or what do we do about, you know, renewable energy? Well, these are great problems to solve, and whoever solves them is going to get, you know, uh, very prosperous at it. So, but there's this, there's uh, yep. this aversion to doing that these days, and I, I, I'm an engineer, and I, I just can't understand it. I thought, you know, why don't we just build this stuff and get it done, you know? But, yeah. Yeah. It's a race. You know, I've often said, I've been in the sustainability work for many years, and I've said, I'm going to run as fast as I could, and frankly, I would love to not be the winner of this race. I'd love to say, wow, that person blew past me. Mm-hmm. How did they do that? I'd love to, ha- I'd love to be chasing, um, but I'm not, I'm not waiting to chase at this point. Mm-hmm. We have to go, and it's, a, it's something we want to win because it, is, it does go back to this, uh, this notion of how we preserve our, our way of life, frankly, for ourselves and our children in a way that, that we could say, yeah, we, we set it up that way. We, we knew that there was a bust and we fixed it uh, because now we've invented internet and cell phones and we're zooming around. And frankly, I don't want to give that up. Yeah. But if we don't figure out, you know, how to address conflict mineral supply chains and um, uh, other things like that, we, we are vulnerable up against something that could naturally just hit a wall. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's get, get someone else to do it. And you know, some other country will do it. <laughs> and I say, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, of the, I'm of the camp of let's figure it out. I think Portland is, is, wants to be that. I think it's poised to do that. But it needs the kind of leaders that can rally them. Because it's the, it's the oddest thing happening in Portland, Dan. We've got a race between candidates. It's a very crowded race across the slate in, the, in City Hall. But... When you look at the positions um, that you would consider the contentious dualities in the, of the nation, everybody running in the Portland seats agrees on those things. No one's, no one's saying, mm-hmm. you know, climate change is, is a hoax. No one is saying we don't have to uh, be more inclusive and equitable. Everyone agrees to that in, in, in those races. But, it's, uh, but the nuance here is in what are you going to do about it? Yeah, and that becomes the difference well hopefully that's what i'm hoping on i mean that's it's what i differentiates me at least uh i'm uh i'm more of a solutions oriented person i like outcomes and i've often said you know we uh, ideas should be challenged always people should be respectful respected um every step of the way and i believe uh the, the ideas i put out there um have a plan, have a strategy, not because I think it's perfect, but because we need to start doing stuff. And I, I often say, please bring, bring an improvement, bring a better idea. I'd love to not be the one running mm-hmm. uh, ahead if we can. Uh, but Portland really needs a, a leadership that can help steer us. Uh, the, the, the leadership we have in place of late is uh, seems quite, not seems, but has very candidly and, and explicitly expressed this overwhelming of, of complexity of the issues that we're grappling with. Yeah. Um, and again, if you have no idea for where you're trying to go, if you never saw the treasure map, you never saw the X, um, it will feel that way as the storm winds blow. Yeah. I think I heard a quote last week 
similar to what you're getting to here is I think it's from Lewis Carroll that said, um, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there or something like that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've never read Alice in Wonderland, but I think it's from that story. It, it, it is actually. Um, it's, it, he does a par he does a parable uh, where someone doesn't know where they're going, and and they have this whole conversation of, well, if you don't know where you're going, then why why does it matter which route you take? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Anywho, yeah, yeah. So so that's a little bit of what we're doing over here. So, um, and speaking of, of taking you know, different tracks here, we're having to innovate at this point um, because this is an election year and it's also a year in which we are experiencing one of these um, uh, pandemics, uh, the likes of which we haven't seen in, in over 100 years now, and uh, trying to run in this environment, trying to run a political uh, a campaign has got to be difficult. So I and you're running, I believe, a, a purely digital campaign. So how's that working out for you? And what sort of innovative ideas are you coming up with? Well, I've I've had to learn how to overcome the, the natural barrier that staying at home has created for a challenger candidate. Mm-hmm. We have an incumbent who gets airtime, gets essentially he could have as much airtime as he as he's willing to utilize effectively in this situation. Um it hasn't been very much, frankly, mm-hmm. um, and I'll leave it at that. But we have uh, all had to adapt. All campaigns have had to adapt to that reality. It's it's affected challengers to incumbents, I think, especially because of the nature of of attentions wanting to go towards this epidemic, this issue, and anything. Even for the incumbents, anything that has in, anything to do outside of this pandemic isn't of much interest. It's what are you going to do now? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the story here locally has been um, we have an incumbent who weren't, no one seemed sure wanted the job, enjoyed the work, or was was putting their heart into it, or or was really even interested in keeping it. Um, and once we had the pandemic, um, that that sentiment shifted quite readily, and it was remarkable um, to experience that as a candidate and a campaign, you know, challenging them. But of course, for me, um, having to adapt to no more debates, no more public forums, mm-hmm. which were my best opportunities to stand in the same light under the same situation as the as the incumbent, right. to respond to the same conditions. Um, I no longer had that. I relied on that heavily uh, because of the difference, I would say, in in how we uh, how we fill a room. And mm-hmm. so I I did not have that anymore. And, and, and as you said, things had to move digitally. Uh, I happened to have had in, already in place a group of folks on my campaign team that were well set up for that adjustment, and essentially. Uh, the you know the, the the infield and the outfield had to shift positions in the middle of the game you know uh, so to speak uh, as far as my digital team stepping forward and becoming more of the strategic team mm-hmm. uh, the they became the center to the communication strategy and the outreach whereas my field team um, we didn't have the luxury of even implementing all the plans that they had in place we had to mothball a few good ideas. Um, because we couldn't knock on doors or shake hands anymore. Yeah. 
yeah, so that that happened. Yeah, even uh, uh, Joe Biden is struggling with this right now. You know, it, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, if you scale it up to the national level, uh, up until very recently, the president was um, was uh, doing his daily um, his daily talks, which uh, I think hurt him substantially. Um, and and uh, but he was getting some airtime. He was getting himself in front of people, and he was taking advantage of that uh, of the pulpit. Uh, whereas, you know, you don't hear anything from Joe Biden, really. It's just like, you know, it, it, and it's really affecting the Alliance Party, too. I mean, our, our own presidential candidate, Rocky de, de la Fuente, um, you know, I'm just sort of wondering you know, how this is all going to um, shake out. I, I, I think we can still have debates, uh, but there will be debates without audiences, which probably is not that bad when you think about it, because the audience can really interfere with these things sometimes. Well... You know what I have experienced? A few a few organizations that canceled their their debates ended up shifting to online forums, mm-hmm. and it's okay. It you, they were starting as people acclimated to this, they were starting to build up audience. But the for the candidates, I would say you you do not get to communicate as much to the audience yeah. because there's so much nonverbal. And there's so much that that can happen when you're just sharing a stage without having to be the one who's talking mm-hmm. um, that you simply do not get in this digital environment. No. So that becomes a challenge that really even uh, goes against, makes, makes the concept of debating very difficult just because the app does not let you both talk at the same time. You know, it mutes one mic to kick in the other. Yeah. <laughs> as a default thing. Yeah. Um, so though, even those sorts of algorithms, you know, do not lend themselves to being able to have the kind of debate that we were accustomed to when you're streaming live and you're both on the same stage. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot to be said about a handshake. I, I know that um, in 2018, uh, Senator Claire McCaskill, who, who was a senator in Missouri here, was defeated during that election. But uh, she came out to meet the people. I actually got to meet her twice, and, and, and on one occasion, I got to spend five minutes with her, just chatting about healthcare. And uh, you know, and then I turn around. I not only you know am much more inclined to vote for her, but I tell all my friends about it and my family, and say, "Well, look at this selfie I took with her." You know that sort of thing. So uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot, a lot of value in being able to get out there. And the the challenge for you now, I think, is in a purely digital world you essentially have to um, create viral videos or something like that to, to really get your name <laughs> oh, out Oh, yeah. And darn it, Dan, I'm a, I'm a people person, and I, that has been, I feel like I got cut at the kneecaps on this one um, with this, but, but I've had to adapt, and all of a sudden I'm at, at midnight, I'm learning about you know, how to create content online and uh, things to kind of, brush up the edges of a, of a produced video, uh, all sorts of things that I wasn't doing before. Um, and out of necessity became the only thing I could do. So, you know, for better or worse, it, uh, it did push me into a place that I think enables a lot more, uh, a lot, many more opportunities for communicating, but at the same time, uh, it's no replacement for in-person. Yeah. Well, it's probably less expensive, though, when you think about it. You're you're not having to you know secure all those venues and things like that. But uh, that's perhaps little consolation, really. 
Um, and, you know, I, I think the best answer for me is going to start to become both. Mm-hmm. Uh, having, having some uh, live forums that need not be so grandiose, mm-hmm. but have enough uh, critical mass that you get that live response, you get that interaction, and pushing that out online so people can participate remotely and, and join that room. I, I, I'd like to see that. And mm-hmm. I, that's part of what I was thinking of doing in City Hall with public forums as a way of bringing greater access to democracy uh, in general. But now I'm starting to see, boy, now I've got a, I can't wait to, to become mayor to start, you know, saying, let's put that in our budget and let's hire for that. I have to learn how to start doing it in my own scrappy way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. Learning experience for everybody. Hey, if, if I may just, uh, we're, we're kind of, I think we're going to start running out of time here. I think you have a time limit here that we're coming up on, but I wanted to just pivot yeah. if I may to, um, big politics. You know, we've been talking a lot about the city of, of Portland, Oregon, and uh, we're talking with mm-hmm. Ozzy Gonzalez, who's running for mayor of Portland, Oregon. And um, so talking about big politics, you know, it's it's well known that things like, um, like you know, it's some recent examples like gay marriage or or the uh, suffrage uh, suffrage movement, uh, women's suffrage movement, which um, culminated, culminated about a um, hundred years ago but was the result of four decades of work. And that's work all taking all taking place on the edges, you know, in the cities, in the counties, in the states, where, you know, these these national issues actually begin locally. So that really, you know, as if you're going to be mayor of Portland, that puts you in a pretty good position to start a lot of uh, national dialogue about you know, political issues that could affect the entire nation. So are, are there, have you put much thought into that? Like what type of nationwide causes that you might support at your local level? Yes, um, I have thought about that. I've got uh, the, the need for an economic recovery makes this all the more immediate. But uh, prior to COVID, uh, the need for a transformation of our economy um, was already eminent. We've seen over the last half century the decline of the working class and the workforce, the shrinking of the middle class. We've less become a manufacturing society, and we started getting really good at running credit cards up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we became more of a debt society, and our value proposition shifted to the world's economy. Uh, we've, we're seeing in today's pandemic how vulnerable that makes us when we can't get masks and we can't even get vaccines, we can't get supplies, and we're relying on um, production overseas for basic things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a vulnerability for us. There's yeah. no credit card on earth that gets us out of that. Yeah. Uh, so especially, yeah, and then, and then we talk about how, how the debt's being held as well, but that's, that's another topic. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's all of that that needs to be considered. And so my plan for a sustainable economic recovery and a shift towards renewable energy technologies, renewable fuels, um, vehicles that eliminate our transportation carbon footprint, land use and housing development that, re- that creates more walkable neighborhoods, that balances uh, wages with the price of housing, um, those sorts of uh, of things are what we have to be able to do at the city scale. 
if I can do that in Portland, Oregon, a place that agrees that that's something worth doing, um, but simply is navigating the how, then I think we can provide uh, a proof of concept, an example, something that could potentially become scalable once again to demonstrate that we are not trying to suffer our way through becoming a sustainable economy. Mm-hmm. We're trying to innovate our way into it. And um, we, we have every reason on earth to want to maintain a standard of, of quality of life in the process. Yeah. And that, that's where this gets fun and, and challenging. What a, what a crazy puzzle for us to spend, you know, the, the next part of our lifetime trying to solve, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely necessary that we solve some of these issues as well. Um, you know, you touched upon uh, um, sustainable energy, and, and um, that to me is, is, is definitely that it, it's a potential solution or part of a solution of making a, um, a better earth, a better uh, ecology for us. And, you know, our lives depend on it. Um, and it's jobs and it's resilience. It's, it, gets, it keeps us more... Uh, I'd say uh, foolproof in the event of uh, disruption, um, maybe driven by climate or some other thing. Yeah. Um, but all of that helps. And, and so that's, uh, that's the thing we've got to do. And, and it's what took me back to government because uh, as an architect, I served for seven years uh, for a large uh, design firm and I was the global director of sustainability. I had the access to 28,000 engineers across all disciplines and and that to me was the candy store of problem solvers but someone had to shape the puzzle someone had to create the problem or define the problem mm-hmm. and so my job was to go out and try to make sure that we were solving the, the the best problems we could solve for our clients and some of it was just trying to figure out where's the potential next bust in your in your supply chain in your vulnerability Mm-hmm. And it's social and it's environmental sometimes, but it always goes back to economic. Yeah, uh, and and that's and that's something that we have to be able to connect the dots on, so that you know we, I'd say it passes the smell test, the CFO smell test, um, and it always does because something that that I think is a truism, no matter what your your country or your democratic process or your government you know process your political system. Um, is that it's it's not in your best interest to be wasteful with the things on which your your outcomes depend, and, that, and there's always a natural resource and there's always a human resource component. Mm-hmm. Well said. Um, I think we're coming up to the end of our time here, but I just want to uh, get in one more uh, quick one for you. It's what I call the call to action. Um, you know, how can people who are interested in your candidacy participate? and contribute to your campaign. Thank you. Right now, I'm in the middle of the primary, so vote. If you're in Portland, Oregon, or know someone who's in Portland, Oregon, make sure that they have submitted their ballot. We're, we're a vote by mail, so by today, we have to be taking them to post offices. So no more putting them in mailboxes, but make sure to vote. And if you're outside of Portland, Oregon, you can help me by making contributions to my campaign because getting the word out is the essential piece of making sure that we have these conversations out loud in public. I would love the help of folks out there to share the word with their networks and with folks in the city. 
Um, and if you have any, visit my website, and if you see anything you like or know of an example in your city of where something like that's being done, then reach out to my campaign because I'd love to hear about it. Great. And what, what is your website address? It is www.ozzieforpdx.org. That's O-Z-Z-I-E, the number four, P-D-X dot O-R-G. Great. Okay. Let's uh, wrap it up here. I've, uh, we've been talking with Ozzie Gonzalez, who is running for mayor of Portland, Oregon this year. Ozzie, it's been a pleasure talking with you this evening, and I hope we can have you back on our podcast uh, sometime soon. Thanks so much, Dan. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any new episodes. Each week, we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Also, keep in mind that the podcast now has a Twitter page at Alliance On Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in, see what we're all about, and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Shaver, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.